You're listening to the Saturday Morning D&D Show with Jordan, the PH is silent, and Sir Lucian. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to a wonderful episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My name is Jordan with a silent PH in the middle, and I am joined by two awesome people. One of them, uh, my regular co-host over there, Sir Lucian at Sir Lucian Gaming, uh, and also my good friend, Steven, from uh, back back in the day, we we ran around uh, the United States together for quite a while. He's a really good guy. Uh, I, I assume Steven is okay, or do you prefer Silver Boulet? <laughs> or bu- or Bullet? Well, how do you bullet, pronounce How it? do you pronounce it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I pronounce it Bullet. I don't know if that's right Bullet. That's a new one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's new to me. I always All right. Bullet was good, but then, then French started hitting me. I was like, maybe I've been saying it wrong this whole time. Well, that's like that's just my interpretation from you know the monster manual. Looking yep. at the word by itself, I was like, that looks like Bulet to me. So that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> All right, uh, which is a well, the the Bulet is a uh, D and D monster, right? The like burrowing yes, one, yeah, exactly. Land shark. The land shark. I just land had that Magic the Gathering card in. Uh, sorry, yeah. my child is being quite loud. <laughs> but uh, the Forgotten Realms expansion, I had that Magic the Gathering card. I was playing it last night. Um, and that's the one where if another creature dies, it gets like a plus one token. So I guess it's like eating people as it's running around. I don't know. I don't know the mechanics, but it's really Seems fun. Right. Um, Steven, welcome. Yes, thank you. So we're happy to have you here. Uh, first of all, uh, uh, who are you? And what do you oh, do sure. on the internet? And where? And what's going on? Like, let's talk about sure, you. Sure. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about me. I love talking about me. No, I don't. I hate it. But hi, everybody. My name is Stephen, aka Silver Bulette. Uh, I am Silver underscore Bulette on YouTube as well as Twitch. Uh, and the reason that I am Silver Bulette is, well, originally this name came from creating a superhero character in uh, City of Heroes. I don't know if anyone played that back yes. in the day. But yeah, so I had a silver bullet character, uh, and then I was just like, you know what? That's a good handle. I'm just going to hold on to the silver bullet and have since then. Uh, and it fit really nicely into what I was developing a couple of years ago and what we're currently playtesting, which is Capes and Caverns, which is a superhero supplemental to 5th uh, edition D&D. Nice. Uh, and we run... It's been hard to get everybody together slash with my <laughs> connection issues every once in a while since I'm moving around the country every day, every week. But uh, ideally we uh, do a Twitch stream every Monday at 8.30 p.m. Uh, Pacific time uh, in which we t- play test uh, our superhero supplemental. Yeah, And that was uh, the one that you sent me, right? Like, yes. Yeah, yeah I yeah, read yeah. through it. It's really fun. It's So it's the it's fifth edition, but then you have... Uh, more than reskinned it. It's kind of like taking the uh, the rule set of Five E, but like doing it with superpowers and things like that. So uh, it's yeah. really cool. And yeah, I think yeah, I yeah. told you about it too, Lucian. I was like, mm-hmm. you should. Yeah, check I love superhero but, stuff. Yeah, he's all about it. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Um, when did you start? Is a lot more intense than uh, I thought it would be. But you yeah, know, yeah. Really trying to get people together to play test. Where yes, I'm like, I need. Yeah, I no, I ran into I the same to... problem. I was doing my modular D6 game, and I was like, and then I, I we were talking about it, but I was like, man, I, this is, I got to scrap this whole thing. And it was like mm-hmm. only after I ran a couple playtests that I was like, oh, man. But getting those <laughs> playtests to happen, very difficult to do. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when did you start getting into RPGs? Because we, we knew each other 2009, 
and mm-hmm. uh, we ran around the country. But like we we were nerdy, but I don't think we yes. were like like we watched a lot of Star Wars and did other things. But I don't think we ever talked about role playing games. I, when did we start I, playing? I started playing with. My brother ran me through a game back in, must have been 91 or 92. Um, I I had, I think, two characters back at, it must have been second edition at the time. Um, and yeah. so I had two different characters. We just did a couple of sessions and that was it. But it got me hooked into reading the Forgotten Realms books as well as the Dragonlance books uh, back in elementary school. And... Then I was didn't play for a long time. In college, my roommate uh, happened to meet a couple of people through an anime club that also did D&D. And so I ended up doing some th- third edition and 3.5 with them, as well as Arcana Unearthed, which was uh, really neat if you've run into them, that money mm-hmm. cook uh, stuff. But aside from that, then again, like uh, there was a solid 10 years where I was on the road and you know, Skype was not as good as yeah, it is now no and Zoom like it's just like connections weren't as good so gaming just didn't happen and so when I met Jordan gaming wasn't a possibility aside from like I guess with the two of us could have broken up Yeah I, I or like made a new friend every week to be like come join this character right. thing but uh, and it's funny because you you t- talk about like the Forgotten Realms books because I didn't start reading those until after we finished uh, touring and running around the United States. I went back mm-hmm. to where I uh, grew up to kind of help my family, and I was on the internet looking for like a fantasy book to read, and I remember reading the Dragonlance books when I was in college, and I enjoyed those. And so mm-hmm. I was like, oh, like, this is also a D&D book. I'll, like, I'll pick it up. And I played Neverwinter Nights. Like, that's fun. And then that's when I started uh, the first book of the Dritz series. And then just, like, all I did was mm-hmm. read. And then after that, I was like, oh, I got to play a game. So it all... But yeah, I didn't, I didn't play D&D before that. But it's funny because uh, I was starting my channel. And then I would look at your social media posts. And you're like, yeah, look at all these 3.5 books. I'm going to run D&D tonight. And I'm like... What the hell? We never <laughs> talked about Dungeons and Dragons. What is this? What is this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and I like I got back like honestly while working at Disneyland for two years, I got really bored outside of work, and so uh, between listening to the Adventure Zone yeah. and like knowing that a couple of friends of mine were interested in D anD D, I was like, all right, let's get back into this. But we didn't want to move on to fifth edition yet, so we're, we played a couple of three point five uh, sessions, where I got to be a gnome fighter with a whatever that war pick was that they used to have for gnomes. Gnomes had the, the specific weapon that was really neat that had two sides to it, and I can't remember what it is, and it doesn't exist in fifth edition. Oh, so. well, okay, hmm. uh, very interesting, cool. <clears throat> um, We'll uh, be sure to remind you to, like, plug stuff at the end. Uh, But we're going to also... Today's a big day because Wild Beyond Mm -hmm. the Witchlight is out. Um, The D&D celebration is happening. It's running around the world. Uh, Running around the world. I don't know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, Have either of you gotten a chance to read or pick up Wild Beyond the Witchlight? No, I did not pick it up. 
I was there for the opening ceremonies on Friday. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. No, we talked about this. This book seemed more like a Jordan book than it did a a Lucian book. So I assumed it came in the Amazons for you. Uh, Maybe I didn't. I didn't pick (laughs) it up. But uh, people that I play games with on D and D Beyond have content sharing, so I did get it. So Uh, uh, I read through. Well, I skimmed the whole adventure. It seems really fun. Um, there's a cool like twist at the end and some stats for uh, a certain monster that I am very excited about. Uh, <laughs> overall, I think it's a lot better than I was giving it credit for. Um, oh. And I need to, I think I personally need to get out of the mindset that higher level play is more complex and more, and therefore more fun for me. Because a lot of these like, little decisions that you make in the beginning of the adventure kind of have these ramifications later on that I thought was really interesting. So uh, I don't know if I'll run it, but it's only one to eight. It's kind of interesting. So, yeah, I noticed that like after I bought it, I was like, Oh, this is level one to eight. Oh, huh. Okay. I was going to incorporate that into my level seven, but maybe not so much. Yeah. (laughs) Like maybe the very end or something. Yeah, I guess. But that, so I picked it up, uh, yesterday so that i could peruse it just for today and also because i was like i've never done a module before and i'd like to talk about that a little bit here, a little bit with you Mm -hmm. two because i know you both have run modules um Mm -hmm. but one thing that was interesting to me in wild beyond the witchlight is they've got two new character backgrounds and after reading through them i realized they're not actually character backgrounds that are designed for somebody coming from the feywild or like the two new character races don't really fit with the character backgrounds, which mm-hmm. was interesting to me because Fey Lost is more uh, you end up accidentally in the Fey Wild, which doesn't make sense for somebody from the Fey Wild. <laughs> and the other one kind of implies that you accidentally fell into working at the carnival as well. So I was like, oh, it's interesting that they're like, this is for other characters that are older characters this is a new thing for them and then there's a couple new races that would have other backgrounds i guess yeah i think a, i mean a lot of the adventures came with specific backgrounds and uh if we if we zoom back from that idea backgrounds are designed to help you have a character that fits into the game that you're currently playing so mm-hmm. rather than like uh Rather than picking a class, like, well, I'm going to be a wizard and I'm going to do this. It's like, okay, that's cool. Now, how does that background, like, how does that wizard fit into this world? And then you're like, oh, this background is actually the best. Because there are some mechanical benefits, but for the most part, it's really like, how did you get here? Uh, So it makes a lot of sense that those backgrounds are, I got lost in the Feywild. Or like, I don't know, I just started working here. I don't know why I'm here kind of a thing. Uh, but then you could have people that are like, I am from the Feywild and I'm a anthropomorphic bunny rabbit. So that's what, I, or I'm a pixie or something like that. Um, and I've always really enjoyed those. One of the ones that I like the most is from Tomb of Annihilation, where it's basically Indiana Jones. You're like a rogue architect that explores different things. And, and I was like, that's exactly the kind of background I want. So uh, well, now yeah. that you say that, I, I built an Indiana Jones type rogue, but I didn't have that background. Yeah. Got to have the archaeologist back for Tomb of Annihilation, yep. oddly enough. And it's I, on. It's on. It's in that one. It's really good. Uh, have you? How have you? How many have you run, uh, Lucian? Like, uh, not, uh, like I know you modules, write a lot of things because. Yeah. Uh, so, Stephen, you were saying 
mm-hmm. we both have ran uh mm-hmm. modules which i have yeah. very much so but i was like lucian have you like yeah yeah storm king's thunder oh storm king's thunder the best right. i forgot about that the best one <laughs> the um, best one right so uh, i do i do that was the main one i had ran um i have run a couple in other systems where i've used their thing instead of making my own but mm. i did also create a hex crawl seeking revenor fully my own yeah you were, that's what i was thinking of. so i've kind of done it okay. for both. the reason i did that is because i wanted the experience of well, what's it like for both so that when i talked about it on our show i was really coming from a place that i had done both like i had, I had kind of experienced the ups and downs of mm-hmm. what's good about one and what's good about the other what's bad about one or what's bad about the other mm-hmm. And so I would, I would challenge myself that way. And Storm King's Thunder was, you know, a very interesting module. But back to your background thing. So backgrounds to me have always been as a dungeon master, it's what you were before you were an adventurer, right? Because oh. we have to explain somehow there was a life you had before you were an adventurer and you threw that away and for some reason or left it and said, you know what, F all of this. I'm going to throw myself into danger and go into the deepest, darkest dungeon and try to pull out some gold. How did that transition happen, you know, typically? Now, I'm sure everybody's characters aren't necessarily just that, but that's like the the quintessential Dungeons & Dragons story arc is that you are somebody, whatever race, whatever, wherever you come from, you do something for a while, you give it up, you decide to become an adventurer who's going to either try to change the world, save the world, or just get stupid rich, right? Because mm-hmm. those are really the motivations that we have for our characters. So I always thought that was an interesting thing. And I like what you pointed out. I had not realized that, and I think that's a mistake. If you're going to release a couple of new races in a book, you need backgrounds that support those races. Instead, they did the opposite. They gave us two new races, but no backgrounds that those races would use. Yeah. 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 So I didn't even notice that. Yeah. My read of the the carnival hand, I can't remember the exact wording on that character background, is such that it's like people who fell into the carnival life. I think you possibly could justify some from the Feywild, but the other one is definitely not. You didn't come from the Feywild. You accidentally ended up in the Feywild. So that shouldn't be. A fairy or a, and if I can be a rabbit um, folk, what were some of the backgrounds that normal rabbit folk would have had? You know, like yeah. what were some of the normal backgrounds that a fairy would have had? Would you have been like a, a, a glade guard or would you have been, you know, um, just something else, some type of not a performer that would work with the circus one. But, you know, were you a noble in the courts of the fair? Were you those kinds of things? Because that's kind of what I wanted Feywild to be. Me and me and. Jordan have talked about this quite a bit on the show where we talked about the different courts battling each other. The court of the winter, the court of the autumn, the court of the summer, and the court of the spring kind of going at each other in an eternal war of who controls what in the Feywild. And then what was what I always thought would be interesting is how that sometimes bleeds into our world, their war, or sometimes how our stuff bleeds into what they're doing and how that might affect the balance of the courts and what they have going on. I thought that'd be... Mm-hmm. Because you could really play almost like a card version of that where one is the spades, one is the hearts, one is the diamonds, and one is the clubs. It's You could almost play into some of that, make up your own symbols or even tarot card symbols that represent those things. But they went to more of a, these are the domains of delight. Because they did the domains of dread, right? When we got the yeah. 30 domains of dread with Vin Richten's. 
now we've got the domains of delight and i don't know i didn't i didn't buy into that plane as much as i wanted to i guess so i had been saving my money for strixhaven for sure and definitely um fisman fisman's yeah you know, those were the two that i'm ready to buy for the no and i, so I, I want to talk about those. that because the domains of delight um yeah. because that wasn't super i don't, I don't feel like it was super advertised that it was oh. like okay we're gonna do this this uh this reflection of a uh, Van Richting's guide kind of a thing. Um, mm-hmm. But that is their plan. It's just like a domain of dread, like a Ravna- Ravnica, not Ravnica, Ravenloft, mm-hmm. uh, a Barovia has a dread Lord. Uh, these domains of delight in the Feywild have like an arch Fey that runs it or something. Uh, okay. And so this particular domain of delight which this entire adventure takes place in one little domain of the feywild has these hags that are the arch people that are watching over it so they've sequestered this a little bit gotcha um and so i i still like what what that idea is and i'm wondering if you could still i mean obviously D is your game you can do whatever you want with it but like i wonder <laughs> if we'll get something that's more of a seasonal thing like the summer court and the you know the 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 autumn nights or whatever and they're clashing because i i like that too like i like that you know autumn is uh uh, attacking um or i guess like winter is attacking autumn and then that energy bleeds into our real world and that's why we have seasons or something like i think Mm -hmm. that's kind of fun uh but i'm curious if if this keyed off in your brain the way it did in mine uh, but when Lucian mentioned uh, various card kingdoms, I know you have a deep love of Wonderland and everything yeah. that comes with it. Would, did that uh, create any visions in your head of creating oh, a yeah. Wonderland like, setting? No, the Feywild for sure has a Alice in Wonderland setting for me. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, like one hundred percent. It's got like, the grim fairy tales. It's got Alice in Wonderland yeah. kind of smashed into it, but more of the darker Alice. In and Wonderland. I, yeah, well, and I like, I like fairy tales that have those. Uh, those weird, um, those weird magical gotchas where it's like, oh no, you threw water on the witch. Like, like this unstoppable witch that has so much power, but like water splashed and then, oh, I'm melting or something. It's like, like, I I don't know. Things like that, uh, where you need to outthink the creature you're fighting more than, uh, just straight up damage. And I think the Feywild has always kind of encompassed that for me. Uh, case in point, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, one of the big criticisms that a lot of people had, and myself included, is that there were no stat blocks for the the, the demon, or not the demon lords, but the uh, the dread lords, the ones yeah. that are controlling that domain of dread. And it's because of that exact thing. Like, they're not supposed to die. You're supposed to figure out how to trick them or or yeah. solve, the, them. solve yeah. the puzzle to escape. Uh, and... I don't know. You can go back and forth. I feel like you could still have that and give people stat blocks to attack them. Uh, <laughs> but it's interesting. Uh, but specifically, Wizards of the Coast came out with an $8 DMs Guild supplement um, called Domains of Delight Creator Supplement. So if you want to make your own Domains of Delight, they gave you a whole bunch of, uh, I think, art and templates and like what a domain is and basically what they did for van richten's guide they're now giving to uh well selling but all the prof- profits from that go to a charity i think so it's one of those things where they're like yeah we're selling it but like it's all for good uh 
But I was looking at that supplement the other day, and it specifically says in there, domains of delight are to the Feywild what domains of dread are to the Shadowfell, which means that Ravenloft as a whole is part of the Shadowfell, Yes. And they're they've tied all of that together for the cosmology. So although kinda, I want a book of the Shadowfell, and I want a book of the Shadowfell too. <laughs> uh, so it's I don't know. That's kind of interesting because I don't feel like that was readily put out there. But also, mm-hmm. a lot of people are not like me, where they're like, I need to know how all of the cosmology fits together because I am like that. So mm-hmm. well, and that, well, I think that that gets me into my question about running modules because I haven't run a module before. This is my first time looking at it. The Wild Beyond the Witchlight. Uh, I like that it's broken down into chapters, but I'm curious when you are looking at a module, uh, when you're trying to run it, what, how much do you read ahead? How much are you worried? Oh, are my players going to jump past this chapter entirely? Where, how, how do you run a successful module? Uh, I read the whole thing, um, start to finish pretty thoroughly. Uh, I don't read like all the monster stat blocks necessarily, but like, Mm. Uh, I yeah, I read the whole thing just for fun, just like as a fun casual read. Um, and thinking back to like our our theater days, uh, a lot of times when I'm doing a play, I'll do the same thing where I'll read the play just for fun, just to read the whole play, and then a day later I'll reread it to get like very specific things, especially if I'm directing. So I'm like, okay, yeah, I want to hit this or I want to do that, and I do very similar when I'm running a module. So I'll I'll read the whole thing kind of just casually for fun. And then um, I'll reread like chapters one and two. So I know specifically like, okay, they're going to start here. And I know that they're not going to get as far as other things. But uh, but if what if they do? What if they open up some, you know, they put uh, two bag of holdings together and open up a portal to the astral plane and the game goes in a completely different direction? That happens. Uh, mm-hmm. And... I used to get frustrated that it's like, oh, you're not following the path of the module, but now I just go with it. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, so you're in the astral. Doesn't mean that the adventure skeleton can't happen in the astral sea. We just have to like, I just have to change it in certain places. So. Okay. Uh, yeah. I did the opposite completely. I didn't read all of storm King's thunder. <laughs> I prepped exactly what I knew was about the first session or second session or what I thought would be one or two sessions. And then I always gave myself, when I knew we were moving to another spot, a session where we did something that was something either I created or a small mystery that allowed me to be run that super simple and give me a full session to get ready for the next big piece of the book. Now, Storm King's Thunder is a big book. It covers the entire length of the Sword Coast. And the players can go anywhere. It's, I mean, yeah, they have chapters where they might go to three different ones. And then if they go to this one, you don't even use the other two pieces. They don't go there. You go to this other route. So I had to read that piece to figure out where they were going to go. Tribor, Golden Fields, or one of the other ones. But I felt like if you tried to read the whole thing, it's just too much. So I was only prepping what the sessions I would need or one or two of those sessions might be. And if I ever got stuck where they ended something early, then I would just kind of riff, do normal ad-libbing that a dungeon master would do, give them something to do that gave me time to prepare to get us the rest of the way through the next piece of the module. Um, And so I always tried to just prep what the session was coming up. I tried not to over-prep. 
Um, because I think in the beginning I wanted to just read the whole book, but I was just like, no, this is too big. There's, you're going to go from one to 15 in this book. But, <laughs> you know? Like Tolis isn't huge. like that though. You kind of have to would read all of Tolis before you I don't run know. It. Like maybe. Or I know Judge James did. So. <laughs> well, that's true. That's uh, true. Because it's not a linear adventure like that. It's kind of, I don't know. Um, right. So, so in Storm's King Thunder, that's exactly what happened, right? Because there's a part where they get done with the village and they can literally go anywhere. So during that session, I propose the question of what are you guys doing now? They start to have their discussion and I have nothing prepped because I have no idea where they're going in the Sword Coast at this point. I just know what's happening in the Sword Coast. Like I know what things are moving around a little bit because it talks about that in the book. And so they eventually decide, well, we're going to go to Silvery Moon. And I had no idea that's where they were going to go and what road they were going to take. And so I put in an adventure where um, that night they got attacked in their camp. That took up the whole session because it was combat. That gave me a whole week to prep. Now I know they're going to Silvery Moon and I can look at the spots that are in between using the book and I can say, oh, they're going to go to Yarder first. So what do I want to do there with that? Look at what the book says. They're going to hit this spot. What do I want to do here? And I can start putting in encounters and kind of planning out a little bit of what I think might happen on their travel because I had them tell me where they were going. But it was like there was a point where I had no idea what was going to happen. Like I, they could have went to Boulder's Gate. They could have went south. They could have went north. They just it was wide open. It was like a full on open ended game. And I was just waiting for them to tell me where to go. So it's so, interesting if you're now, not all modules are that way. Like talk about saltwater, you know, that one's different. Ghost of Saltmarsh. Yeah. Ghost of Saltmarsh <laughs> is much different. Yeah, saltwater's in it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but that one, I think it plays different. I read that whole thing just because it was super interesting and super fun. I think I would have just read that whole thing and then ran it just like you did. I think on that one goes yeah. to Saltmarsh. So I'm curious, okay. Stephen, are you running yep. games that you're just making up on the fly or do you write like a little bit and then run that little bit or how do you, how are you playing games? Um, I, it depends, like I have, I don't write it out, but I do have a general plan for if they do this, then this is where it's going to go. Uh, I do, I try to improvise as much as possible though. Um, so for instance, uh, I, the uh, characters in our Capes and Caverns game decided to jump through a portal to the Plane of Ice. Was not expecting that. So the next session, I was just like, "What? Okay, what? How? Number one, how do I get them back to the world? Because the the it definitely is a one way trip. It's not going to work. They need to be in the ice plane for a little while. Uh, and then I also needed to be like, okay, what can they do in the ice plane? Because I don't want just them to just be like, oh, look, here's another portal. Pop through. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay, generally, here's some options for them, and let's see where it goes. Yeah. Uh, it's, this whole story reminded me of, uh, I gave, I asked my players, like, okay, your options are to go under the mountain or over the mountain. Very cliche, I know. Uh, but they had two options, and they all decided to go under the mountain. And I'm like, okay. And a week later, we sat down at the table and I had prepped this whole underground thing for them to run through. 
And then they were like, you know, we were talking right before we got here. I think mm-hmm. we want to go over. And I'm like, over. what? You son of a bitch. And then I improv the whole thing. <laughs> I did. I was just like, I don't know, ice giant, yeah. snow. Mm-hmm. Ah. And, and they were like, and my wife was just like, guys, I think we should go under because that's what Jordan planned. And I'm like, no, it's fine. It's fine. But that does yeah. happen. It's kind of crazy. So Yeah. Well, and that's like, I, I don't prep too much ahead because I know. So back in college when I was uh, gaming uh, 3.5, my roommate created a world for us to play in, but he hadn't completed everything. And he started us out outside of a city wall that the gates were closed and everybody wanted to fight to get in there. And he was just like, I'm not ready for that. No, you can't get in. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I don't want to be that guy. I just want to like, I'm going to create things on the fly so that I can let them go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, they'll still surprise you. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but it, it's funny. Like I, I love homebrew worlds, but uh, there's a, there's a, there's like a camaraderie. And I think that's why I enjoy running some of the older stuff. Like I just got temple of elemental evil uh, updated for five E and I really want to run that because it's such a classic adventure that when, and I'll use Tomb of Horrors as a good example, because I feel like a lot of people have Tomb of Horrors things, but you go to like a convention or something and you don't know other people, but you, you have that Tomb of Horrors story. And it's kind of mm-hmm. like when you go to a uh, gaming convention and you're like, everyone has that Final Fantasy seven uh like fight that they remember and they're like, oh yeah. And then, oh, and that was like crazy or or this combo that you could do in this video game kind of a thing. Uh, and I like that. So it's weird because there's a lot of people that push back on ah, modules. I don't know, pre-written. Like, I don't want to be railroaded. And I'm like, you're not. I don't think you are. Uh, but at the same time, I love that we can collectively all be like, yeah, remember Tomb of Horrors? Like, did you stick mm-hmm. your hand into that like sphere of annihilation and lose your hand? That sucked. Mm-hmm. Uh, or all the weird things that can happen in there. Uh, which has really given me a love of running some of these older ones. Like, I ran White Plume Mountain through Tales of the Yawning Portal, uh, and I recently got, not recently, but a, a year or so ago, I got a uh, a fan sent me some old uh, modules from the 80s, and one of them was the old White Plume Mountain. And I showed it to my <laughs> friends that I ran, and they were like, we were there! And like th- the excitement of seeing the art that was slightly different than the art the updated art in uh, the 5e version, but they were like, it was, it was a lot of fun. So I think there's a lot of, uh, there's reasons to run old modules, I think. And I like mm-hmm. that, but it was interesting saying that we read the whole thing from the get go. But I think last week we were just talking Lucian about the pathfinders and how they were, mm-hmm. would release them segmented. So yeah, as so the dungeon couldn't. master, you wouldn't know, you like you're like, okay, we're going to run levels one and two. I don't know how this is going to end either because it isn't published yeah. yet. So, yeah, that's what I think was interesting. The The thing I will say about the improv part of, if you're going to create everything, like in my Revenor game, what I found was the hardest thing to do because I ad-libbed everything. Like I just waited yeah. until they decided to do something and made it up on the fly and had some stuff going. <clears throat> it was harder to have an overarching storyline that would give them some real character 
And I don't mean character progression mechanically, yeah. but character growth like in a play or a movie or yeah, a Yeah, emotional sense. Yeah, they have to change. I couldn't do that. What I could do is give them little vignettes, little pieces here that fit whatever they were doing. I could tell them how the world worked like I was a, an AI computer reacting <clears throat> to what they were doing. But there was no real overarching cool villain that was going to pop in here or there or there. Whereas the modules, because they're writers and they're going through so much of it, you get more of that than I think. It's not that you couldn't do it, but I think you get more of it. I think you fall into the trap of the ad lib of just set piece things that are cool at the moment and being good at reacting to what they're doing. But that doesn't mean you have this big two-year campaign in your head about kingdoms falling and new new leaders rising and how the players fit into that and where they fit into that and which ones do or don't um so i feel like modules can do a little bit better of that like if you're playing tyranny of dragons or you're playing like because storm king thunder is all about the ordning right and you learn about this huge historical thing that's going on with the giants and the dragons and I wasn't getting that in my ad lib game. I was getting here's your here's your playground, and you have all these cool playground stuff. And when you go and play on the swings, I'm going to tell you how it looks when you play on your swings. Or you're going to go and you're going to do the 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 teeter totter. Then that's what it's going to look like. I didn't have that cool, you know, the dragons and the and the giants were had a war going on while the players were slowly catching up and finding out what's going on with the ordning and how the ordning got broke and what you know all that kind of stuff. So. Mm-hmm. That was the benefit and the con to, I think both have, are great, but they also both have a few weaknesses that inherently comes with them. I think sometimes you can be a little railroady with the modules because you're trying, Rod of Seven Parts, if they don't go and get the seventh part, we're not playing the Rod of Seven Parts anymore. <laughs> we're playing the Rod of Six Parts and the characters decide to go do something else. So you got to get them the seventh part, whether you got to hit them over the head with it or not. Well, the world is <laughs> <Yeah. then>. like, <laughs> right. That was my thing. It was like, if you don't find it, the world's hey, going to end. Like, done. Demons are going to come nobody. crashing through. There you go. <laughs> I was going to say, you just keep sending uh, more demons through portals yeah. until they uh, eventually Because the demons want it, yeah. So it's like, I guess we'll take care of this. I don't know. It's kind of We were talking about uh, my Ghost of Saltmarsh TPK. Where you yeah. were like, you know, it'd be cool is if you ran a game that was like 10 years later and all of the Sahagwin have like infested the whole coast and the yeah, city. Yeah, they failed. <laughs> and it's like, they failed. And I was like, you're right. Like, even though yeah. uh, you can have a TPK and a game can fail, that can open up so many cool new ideas and adventure paths. You know? The new campaign is how do we get it back? Yeah. But like, take this, George, just as, a, as an example. Compare you running Ghosts of Saltmarsh and then Hot Springs Isles. Yeah. What were the differences there? Yeah, no, I mean, Hot Springs Island, they had no motivation other than to get off the island. And so it was just, uh, you have to have players that are curious about exploration. Like, what is over there? What am I going to find? Mm-hmm. And that's the game. Like, there there was no character growth. Like, I don't think anything, because it was just like, mm-hmm. we want to see what's on the other side of that ridge. Um, and then when we got to an appropriate level, and they kind of like completed the island they found a way off and then th- that was it uh but it was fun i don't know but yeah that is very different than running uh and then Ghost of salt, salt marsh, marsh or yeah they're trying to save yeah, the, the out town. of the abyss where it's like you are involved. heroes yeah yeah and yeah. both both types of play have a lot of merit We're, i like and i like both, super fun yeah so yeah yeah super fun it's good times 
Interesting. Uh, it's a good question because yeah. a lot of new and our show is all about dungeon masters and helping people become dungeon masters or if they're thinking about being a dungeon master. And that's a, that's the first thing you're going to think about is you finally said, OK, I, I found four people that are willing to play. I'm sitting in my game store or my bookstore, wherever mm-hmm. I'm at. Do I want to play a module? Because that in my head says it'll be easier than if I make it up. But is that really true? <laughs> is that, yeah. Right. Do we find that having to cram for a module all of a sudden feels like school and you're like making <laughs> notes and you're outlining things or, you know, so or are you good at improv or maybe you're not good at improv? And I find theater players can lean one way. And for those people that have never done anything theater wise can lean a very different way, too. Mm. I also mm. think. And I've seen the different players and the different dungeon masters that come from those backgrounds have a different experience that we then come together and have a shared experience, but they're coming at it from different angles. Like it's almost like different camera angles or something like one's a close in and one's a, a wide angle or something. So it's, it's interesting. You can always tell the theater players, I think, and the, and the, the kids that went to the theater class and theater school and, you know, they just, they play the game in a way that's a little bit different than the people that didn't go to that stuff. Um, both having fun. <laughs> you know, that's not a, not <laughs> yeah. a good way no, or a bad way. <laughs> as long yeah. as everyone at the table is can have having fun. fun with a game, absolutely. Like yeah. I that the the game that we are playing that is desert version of Ghosts of Salt Marsh right now. Yeah, talk more about us, that. I'm curious about that. How does sure. that work? <laughs> so um <laughs> I think it was originally Greyhawk. I think that's what mm. that world is. Uh, but it is Ghost of Salt Marsh, but everything is dry except for there's a couple of salt marshes around um we have been working for this well number one two of us are lizard folk who are trying to protect our uh our cave from the thrykreen and we were supposed to get oh a this is of uh weapons. dark sun okay oh dark sun yeah you're yeah. right sorry you're right. but so we were trying to get these weapons and pirates apparently stole them in these ships that are on desert what used to be rivers but are now just dry so these ships are on wheels and they used wind wind and psionic energy to move yeah, uh, dark sun. and so like we've Mad been Max. trying to we finally just got the weapons last night from these people <laughs> um and we've uh, gathered them we're going to bring them back to the caves uh but it's interesting because two of us are theater people and we both chose to play characters who are bad at conversation, <laughs> which is troubling nice. because the other two people aren't really theater people and they're playing people who would be really the group leaders. But Adrian and I are like leading all the conversations, <laughs> even though we're both like, we are secluded people. We, we don't, we don't talk to others. What's going on. <laughs> so it's been like a character development of just like, okay, my, barbarian who doesn't talk well with others is suddenly the, the the person leading all the conversations okay here we go yeah i i decided that i just need to default to charismatic characters that i play um because i've been the like oh i don't know kind of a thing but it's like when i play those i just get frustrated that i can't talk or it, it's out of character <laughs> for me to do that so i'm like no we're just gonna be bards for life that's what i'll do so so do you feel that game is more of a Mad Max style game or is that more like a Dune game where you're getting the spice and there's witches and there's cool things like that? Or is it more like big motors and guitars with fire flaming out of them? And <laughs> I, it, 
I I went through a Mad Max session. It's actually on uh, Stella Luna's YouTube channel. Uh, it's Folks and nice. Tales. That was a lot of fun. But uh, no, uh, this is more of a Dune. Oh, okay. we're, we're we're very much survivalists. We have to keep track of our water consumption as well oh, as our food fun. consumption every day, uh, and everything. Like most metals are gone, so they don't. We don't sharp shop in gold and silver. We have like shells and ceramics that we trade in instead. Um, what what about water though? Track of on D and D Beyond. <laughs> when it's so easy to create water with magic, has that been limited in this world so that that is not easy to just create water spell and then? Uh, that that's a good question. It uh, it's supposed to be a magic light world. We have an artificer in our group. Um, and they don't have create water, but they do have purify water. So if we get to a water spot where it's not great water, we can gather it up and then purify it and then make mm. things good. But yeah, yeah. and seeking revenue that was, I wanted to bring a survival aspect to it. I wanted them to have to track rations, have to track camping and water, but they wanted to play druids and rangers <laughs> that give them all the abilities that bypass all that stuff. So the way I got around it is when that druid tried to cast Goodberry for the first time, they were from the Sword Coast and sailed across the ocean to Revenar, which is the continent all the way across the ocean. And in my mind, his magic didn't work anymore because his magic is meant to work with the nature and the plants he's used to from where he grew up, where he lived, and where he practiced his magic. This land is not that. So when you tried to cast Goodberry, it didn't work. And so they weren't able to bypass the survival parts of it. They had to forage. And the, even the ranger, he had a little bit higher percentage to be able to do it. But it wasn't automatic like the skill reads in the book. And my my explaining of that, and I told them, I want this to be a survival type game. And they, they were willing to buy into it with me too. But the idea was is that you guys are in such a different land. Those skills, although are pretty good, you don't know if this green plant is good to eat or if a red plant is right. good to eat in this in this part of the continent. You don't know any of that. You're starting out from scratch. So at the beginning, there is still a survival aspect to this. And eventually you can build past it. You can become powerful enough that it doesn't matter. But in the beginning, I want that to be a factor. So I think it's cool that you mentioned that it is a factor. Uh, a waterless world where water is important. You have to make sure that it can't just be bypassed by a first level spell or a cantrip, you know, that everybody's yep. just throwing around or something. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, my Eberron game, the DM was saying that you can sustain yourself on conjured water and food, but uh, there's going to be some repercussions. I like that. And I, yeah. I, the, I never thought about it until he said that, but I really like that idea of like, okay, if we want to push ourselves, we can do this. Like I can yeah. survive on this. Uh, but I'm going to need to like rest in a town eating real food, not like magically conjured stuff because I, I don't know. It's like, it's not as like, you'll yeah. feel full, but it's not nutritional or yeah. something like that. And when you had and, said that, and, and he was saying show. that we're going to get, uh, like levels of exhaustion. So even yeah. though you had a good night's sleep, you're still like, Oh, like, yeah. When you mentioned that in the show, my mind immediately went to, all right, every time you use that, it's like you're eating a Snickers bar. So sure, you guys can eat Snickers bars for every meal, every day. But what's that going to do to your body when you're just eating just pure processed sugar? Well, that's what magic is, pure processed sugar. Or just magical uh, <laughs> magical radiation. Start like gaining all of a sudden weight. you're like you high blood pressure. Yeah. 
You yeah. sneeze fire or something. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. I love that. So that's really cool. Uh, we should talk about this. People in chat are talking about it. The sure. uh, $175 book that's supposedly that's going to be announced mu- a Sunday. This was an Amazon leak. Um, yeah. Because it is uh, it is the D&D celebration this week. Yep. Um, there are some speculations. I think uh, our, our leaker, Ted, who gets all of the news... <laughs> From Nerd Internet sleuth. Uh, he sleuthed it out somehow uh, that it might be a, uh, I don't know, do you know better than I, Lucian, like a rules update or something? Yeah, he called it like a, an optional rules, I thought, compendium, which made it sound like it was a way, like a three-book set that was like the Tasha's, the Mordecai's. Yeah, regular rules expansion rules? gift set. Yeah. But we don't really know what that means. No. Uh, but it's $170, so it's probably going to be like the three books. A slipcase. Plus Tasha's and Xanathar's maybe. Because those have the condensed version of mm-hmm. some of the... Uh, like having the... What is it? Uh, that was in that was in Ravnica where you had the, the organizations you worked for. They, they used it with Acquisitions Incorporated as well. But that is in Tasha's yeah. where it's like, I work for this dragon. And like we- Patrons. Do, patrons, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so like a patron system. Um, but I, I'm assuming it's like the new spells, the, the new subclasses, the new mechanics they were making that they've been adding with these other books, but don't show up anywhere in like Player's Handbook, Dungeons Master's Guide or Monster Manual the three core, what they consider the core. So do you think that, you that would this only will be, uh, I'm wondering if it's going to be like the PHB plus one and it's going to have those Ranger fixes that we want and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So no, they're not going to do that. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, no. Yeah. No. They don't, uh, they're they saying don't in believe. chat it's 5.5. So they do not believe the Rangers broken. They, that is my they 100% know the Rangers broken. They don't want to talk about why the Rangers <laughs> They know broken. the players think the Rangers broken. I don't think they agree. It's too funny. <laughs> I, I um, mean, I've played a Ranger before and I was successful viable. with it. But like, there's some things where I'm like, I don't see the use of this ability. Yeah. That's that's the biggest thing. Where no, I'm just and like, I can play it. It's just I don't get it. No, and I, I, I like the Ranger too. I even played the Beastmaster Ranger, which is the one that everyone has the most problems with. Mm-hmm. I did and, too. Uh, I, I, we don't need to go on a whole tangent about the Ranger, I guess, but <laughs> it is one of those things. Like You can have fun with a character that doesn't isn't optimized. When there I say go. it's bad, yeah. it's not because the Ranger's not putting out enough damage or something like that. Uh, right. But that being said, you can also look at your friends and be like, wow, they can he blew up a whole town. I can, you know, set a bush on fire. Like, I don't know. Yeah. like <laughs> Hunters mark that bush. Um, Lucian, you were talking about this. Uh, Monty Cook has got a Kickstarter in October called So this Plane is the Break. second 5e. So he did Tolis. Yeah. And he comes out. He's got a 5e version. Of the Era version. He does Arcana of the Agents yeah. 5e version. And now Plane Breaker. Well, he's, he's the kind of was the main Planescape creator, at least, or part of the main part of the team, the driving yeah. You can tell Monty Cook's visions of worlds yeah. is a little warped in a way, and you can recognize it when you see it in Numenera. You can he wrote, recognize uh, it the Great Modron March, which is like yeah. one of my favorite modules from yeah. back in the day. So he, he just likes to do wild and weird and cool stuff. And I think it's interesting that in these last year, they would have only been doing Numenera cipher system stuff 
they're breaking out into 5e things. And I think it's because we've talked about this, I don't know how many times, 5e is a money maker and it's at its peak right now. So if you're not putting something 5e out, you're just dumb because you're just leaving money on the table at this point. People are throwing money at 5e anything. Yeah, and so for Monty, you would think like, I want to make Cypher System Tolis and we're going to really upsell it and things like that. But like when people are familiar with 5e... And you can, and it's so popular. And if, yeah, and he knows Five E. His whole team does, and so they he wrote, yeah, so, so yeah. much of the Three E. <laughs> well, and they, he was a consultant for Five E as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, you see their names on all that stuff. I love Monty Cook. The more he's he's got to be one of my favorite uh, game designers out there. I'm still waiting I, for that Invisible Sun campaign. I, I have a, a place in my heart for Monty Cook. Just get, I was on uh, the Monty Cook forum way back you know in the early 2000s when oh. forums existed and you know all that you did uh, that but yep. Cook would actually <laughs> interact with us and he put out a call for he was going to run a uh, a family feud for one thanksgiving and he needed us to give answers to these various questions and as a reward for some of us he did like a draw from a hat of the people who gave him these and I got a signed copy of a book from Monty Cook because of. Oh that. wow, that's like, so cool! Awesome. Thank you. That's so. And cool. his company is really cool. I've done, I've volunteered to run games for them at Gen Con, and they are really good about rewarding the people that are volunteering and helping them out. And they're very about reaching out to their community and being. That's what I love about the whole Monty Cook stuff too. And and uh, Ryan Reynolds over there, or no, it's a. It's not Ryan Reynolds, but um, uh, Deadpool. <laughs> no. But his partner, his main business partner, and then there's um, they're all right there. All my cipher books, um, the Strange, Cipher, Shauna. Oh, Jermaine, Charles Ryan, you're thinking Charles Ryan. Yeah. Um, I met him at Gen Con. He he yeah. talked us through Invisible Sun. <laughs> When I was still like, I want to buy it. I don't know. And then I, $350 later, totally got that. So. <laughs> so very cool. But yeah, so um, Plane Breaker, that'd be cool because that's a that's a Jordan book and a half. Feels I mean, you've done like something I would be very planes, excited about. Planes, videos, you've done, you know, that's that's a huge part of your channel. Is I don't know if it's, um, like, it. I want to know, is it a, uh, is it, what I think it is like, is it the planes or is it like a brand new thing? So from what I was reading, I, and I love this, this is just hilarious, but a cursed moon that hurdles through the multiverse crashing into different planes. So like, that's your, that's your ship is just this like Galactus thing. That's just flying (laughs) through the world. Uh, You probably can't control where it goes, but it visits all of these demi planes and stuff. Uh, and I don't, I don't know. Like, I love the idea of that, but I don't think this is going to be Planescape because that's obviously owned. But uh, the idea of like, oh my gosh, it's an entire world of of cobs. Like, everything's corn on the cob. We got to get out of here. Like, it's got a good Rick and Morty feel to it, where you could make it very serious or very like we're in we're in the city of uh, or the realm of ooze, and you have to like fend off giant amoebas that are trying to absorb your planet like that sounds really cool so we'll see it's 192 pages uh the kickstarter is going to launch in october obviously monty cook has a good track record with everything that they've come out with uh Mm -hmm. you know there's going to be covid delays with everything so we probably won't see this until 
a year later, but I'm very, I'm really excited to see what this is. So, um, they're, they're going to have a, uh, once the project's live, we're going to get a free preview. So, yeah. Yep. I like anything they do. They're really good, really really good publishers over there. So, um, I did have one piece of Pathfinder. Yeah, I was going to say Pathfinder. Oh, yeah, yeah. Pathfinder. <laughs> just uh, a Z- few episodes Zris ago. lives for this. <laughs> yeah, they're they're on YouTube. Just like when's that Pathfinder report? <laughs> Here's that. Path- so I saw they just dropped a teaser trailer for an adventure path called Strength of Thousands. Sounds pretty cool. As far as I can tell, it's basically their version of Strixhaven. It's a magical college, magical school path that talks about you're going to, um, and it sounds like it's in the lands that are probably kind of like what we would consider Africa of our continent, but it's in their world. So more of that, you know, that, that kind of savanna deserts jungles um saharas you know though that whole type of different topography you're going to get if you go to the african continent the types of peoples and the tribal art and and that kind of stuff that you get from history but then the greatest school of magic is located there and the greatest wizard of all time has taught it there or has created that place and it's so it's an adventure that talks about that so you get a nice cultural uh, cultural area to, to work in that's maybe newer than you know some of the stuff you've done in Pathfinder, and it sounds like it's a pretty big you know adventure path that they have just announced. And their adventure paths they usually are are released in parts. The books are usually about ninety six pages or more if it's a big one. Um, so we might see a six parter, five parter, four parter. I haven't seen that part yet, but I just thought I would put that out. You can go to Paizo's website to see it. If you want to see the trailer they've put together, they had a nice voiceover, lots of artwork that they're showing, and you might be interested. So I thought it's interesting that both of the big kind of heavy hitters of fantasy tabletop role-playing games are putting out the Magical College adventure this yeah. year. Yeah, you know, This was the year they picked to do Magical College. Yeah, it was uh, I because I saw that uh, Paizo had a bunch of like streams prepped, and I was like, mm-hmm. that's during the same thing as D&D. Cel- okay, okay. Okay, like I, I was like, well, they, is that is that an actual like oh D and D celebration or was it just a no? They dropped everything from Gen Con. All that stuff was oh, their Gen Con presentations, okay. and they didn't go to Gen Con. They usually have a big booth. They recorded all of it, then they moved all of it to YouTube this week. So you've been seeing all of those things. Yeah, okay. Gen going. Con. That makes now sense. the other news. This is for probably Dritz because he's probably been waiting for this, and we don't like to normally dive into this type of news. But they have had, I guess, I don't want to fail to mention it. There is a big thing going on company internally about worker conditions, yeah, people I saw being that. paid correctly, diversity within the thing. And their workers have asked their management and tried to bring them to task with their grievances. And there's a lot of support in the Twitter world, a lot of support in people that have left that company, a lot of support um, to have the upper management look at and reestablish, you know, their commitment to being diverse, paying their people well, even things like clean offices. I was getting the impression that maybe the workspaces they were in were not great, even though maybe now they're working from home. So that's maybe not as big a deal, but maybe it was when they were all going to. And it seemed like they may have had a person that was not a great person. And so when you have that kind of bad apple person in your um, company, 
and they interact with all your people and they have horrible interactions, why does it take so long for that person not to be there, you know, or, or whatever? And that's a company thing. Now, we don't normally, I mean, we have this with Dungeons and Dragons that popped up at certain times when they started talking about Mike Merles or some of the other things, or you get to these other companies that it pops up. So we don't normally dive into it. But that was the other big news that Paizo was dealing with this last week was their their workforce and their content creators speaking to management to get management to do some things for them. So I don't know how that'll turn out. I don't know what's true or not true. I'm not diving into any of that, but that was out there. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, uh, it's good that these are all coming to the surface. Uh, I'll just end with that. But like lots of companies, like I know Blizzard was going through this. Yep. Um, and so it's shine the light on them like you know you're you're doing bad stuff let people know and and there you go so we need to we need to people should be held accountable i guess so yeah yeah yeah. remove hostile work environments that's really the big thing of this year get rid of hostile work environments let's have everybody they got to go to work at least make it nice while they're there if you've got that nine to five job so um free rpg over is October sixteenth. Oh, yes. uh, if you guys are into that, uh, go to freerpgday.com. You can see all of the different stuff that people are coming out with for that. Um, and I'm excited because October is birthday month, so that's like really cool. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, we have got about five minutes left. I want to talk about a book I bought. Yeah. Called uh, Worlds Without Number. Have you heard of this RPG? I have. It's a very popular one. I think they even have a second edition now. Uh, Stars Without Number is the original. Oh, that's what I'm thinking. Um, And that was an RPG for space, which I want to pick up now because of how much I like Worlds Without Number. Worlds Without Number is very much a fantasy one. Uh, Mm. The... It has a, a D&D feel because we have strength, charisma, things like that. Like, it's all very familiar, but uh, you kind of build your class by choosing two things and mashing them together, which I thought was really interesting. So, uh, mm-hmm. which I guess is kind of similar to like race and class, but more so with this. And then as you, I, I just keep getting inspired with uh, module D6 because th- this is the module thing I kind of wanted to do, which is also disheartening because then you're like, oh, I don't. Somebody else already did what I was going to do. Somebody already uh, did it. <laughs> but the reason I bought this originally is because people said that it is the number one world building book uh, ever written for a fantasy setting. And so you can oh. go and you can, um, uh, it's got tables. It's got all of these ways to generate kingdoms, to generate mm-hmm. like things that have happened with the world. Uh, and it's also one of just an enjoyable read. I haven't had a, an RPG book like this for a long time where I'm like, a page turner in a way where you're like, what is going on? So uh, I'm going to keep reading it. Obviously I kind of took a week off of YouTube to like read books and I've been really enjoying it. Um, And I'm probably going to do a review on the Jocular Junction channel at some point. Uh, So keep an eye out for that. Um, And I guess before we go, Mr. Stephen Thomas, I want to talk to you about uh, Capes and Caverns. That's the one you're streaming, right? Uh, yes, it is. Yeah. Yep. So what is it, and where can people watch it if they want to? And I'll put links down below, obviously, when I have links. Sure, sure. But yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, it's a silver underscore bullet channel on Twitch and YouTube. Uh, you can find all of our Capes and Caverns uh, stuff. But Capes and Caverns is a D and D supplemental that I wrote up, which is a basically a superhero overlay. Uh, 
this kind of goes into what Jordan was just talking about with the worlds without ends. Worlds without numbers, yeah. Worlds without numbers, because I decided to create origins aside from just, so there's races as standard D&D, and I created three new races for the book, but I also created origins, which be a layer on top of races where they um, either were scientifically changed for some reason, or they ride around in a tech suit, which is gonna change your stats and abilities, mm. um, or possibly they were just mutated naturally and it just happened in their life. Um, so they have origins that are gonna go on top of it. And there's even a lycanthrope path that you can take. Um, but then uh, beyond origins and races, you also have a class, of course. And I created nine, I want to say nine new classes for uh, the superhero uh, game. Wow. Uh, and it's also all set on a different, slightly different world. Uh, elves have disappeared, but other than that, it's pretty much standard D&D races. And it's just a modern day, we've got cityscapes and it's beautiful. There is a, a theme park called Amber World that I created for a one shot. Um, and it's just, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's a fun way to bring superheroes into the world of D&D uh, while still using those rules. Um, and yeah, if you want to watch it, it's on YouTube. All of the back catalog of Caves and Caverns is there uh, at silver underscore bullet. Um, and then, of course, there's all the webs of stage, which I have to talk about because Jordan has been on a couple of episodes. Yeah, <laughs> That's uh, my uh, short play podcast that I run. Uh, Jordan, I believe, is on episode 17 as well as episode two of season two. Yeah. I want to say that's right. Um, but yeah, Indoor Adventurer, I also talked into uh, coming on for an episode, which was fun. Um, but yeah, it's a short play podcast where we just come in and we read short plays inspired by Twitter sentences. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So uh, Stephen was like, here, uh, send me a, twi a tweet from like just find a random one and i'm like okay and so then i did and then you made a whole like short play out of it and then we just read it and so uh it's super fun so yeah all the webs a stage right yep yeah so you know that on webs <laughs> uh find uh find that on wherever podcasts are free uh mm -hmm. and there you go um mm -hmm. Obviously, uh, if you're watching the YouTube video, you can follow uh, Stephen uh, at Silver Boulet on Twitter. And that's probably the best way to follow him because uh, you'll get extra links to all the stuff that he's doing there and retweets and things like that. So be sure to check that out. Um, anything else, Mr. Stephen? Uh, no, it's just uh, like, I just wanted to touch on, uh, <laughs> I recently we needed a backup game just in case... I don't know if you've ever done this, but like we've been having problems getting everybody to a game uh, every Thursday. So every, no, everyone shows up all the time on oh, time. Everyone ready shows to go. up all the time. Sure. You yeah. lie. So I, I, I made <laughs> I made the foolish mistake of like volunteering one week. I was like, I, I think I could probably come up with something. Uh, and we're currently like running through a worldscape where number one, humans have more or less been destroyed uh, because of something that happened. The characters are all playing seventh level. They started at seventh level. They were part of the cataclysm that killed off the humans and also sent this world into a fallout type situation. 
And through the gameplay, I'm going to decide whether or not they caused it or if they were working to stop it. Mm. And it's all going to depend on what they do in the future and what their characters are. Excellent. Very cool. Yeah, so we're basically playing uh, post-Cataclysm. This is what I've been working on for our um, alternate game when the group doesn't meet and we just need to play a one-off because not everybody's there. And Mm. it's the uh, Cthulhu tentacle tearing down the vietnam helicopter fall of delta green so good oh so good loving it <laughs> but alternate games that was it that was the idea i just recently came up with two or not my idea but everybody's coming up with it what can we do when only three of us show up to a game that normally has five there must be mm. something we still can do because right now everybody just says oh okay i'll go do something else and we all jump on steam and play steam games or whatever right <laughs> so that's a good idea that you have an alternate game ready that could just be a one-off could be any characters and just could play no that's how uh that's exactly how most of my other games start out. is like <laughs> like oh people people can't make this one well i'll run this one and then those are the people that are like oh and then that becomes the main game and then we're like oh yeah i was running a Shadowfell thing right so uh thank you so much steve uh zurich well you as well steve but steve zurich oh, okay. here uh he donated five dollars to the channel so thank you very much for that that's very nice of you um we appreciate it helps us keep the lights on over here uh i think that is it i have to go uh get my little boy to take a nap and make myself some lunch uh, but we will be back next week with another episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show and probably lots to talk I mean, lots to talk about because they're just, they're going to announce something on a new book. Saturday night. So we're going to talk about new apparently. books and stuff. The official announcement's on Sunday at like 3 your time, PST, but I'm sure it'll get leaked. Yeah, somewhere. and then I'm going to have to, uh, I still have to complain and talk about my uh, wizard with a broken leg who should, who who has disadvantage on range attack. Oh. Anyway. We'll talk about that <laughs> next next episode. next week. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> uh, we will see you guys next week with another episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show. Steve again. Stephen, thank you so much for being on. Uh, Lucian, yeah, no thank problem. you. Awesome Thanks as well. And we'll see you guys later. Bye. Bye, everybody.